Anyway, we're talking about a 50-day adventure. That's what Dave was talking about. And um, it's interesting, when you, when you think about adventures, he was, Dave was even saying an adventure can be very different depending on your personality, who you are, what you enjoy. Uh, you guys remember Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, right? right? That's one kind of adventure. Or the adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, right? Very different adventure. But at the core of adventure is, uh, I, I looked it up. I'm like, well, I, I think I know what an adventure is, but let me just look it up and make sure. And, and so I looked it up and it said this, an exciting or extraordinary event or series of events. Okay, makes sense. Or participation or willingness to participate in things that involve uncertainty and risk. That's the part I think we're probably a lot less likely to engage in, the uncertainty and risk. I, I just feel like uh, it's interesting for me as I, I just sort of, I, I, I go to the mall, I like to observe culture. And one of the things that I think I've noticed is that we as a culture have started to trade adventure for observation. You know, we've, uh, we, we sort of become people who live vicarious lives. Uh, it may, maybe you don't believe me, but have you, have you noticed the, the obsession with reality shows? My wife and I love the show Big Brother. Uh, so four people knew that show. And uh, there's like, um, so what, Survivor? Got Survivor fans here probably. And then you have Survivor Man, where the guy goes out and lives off of tree barks and stuff like that, or Man vs. Wild, same kind of deal. We love reality shows. And I think the reason we love them is because we can sort of experience the adventure from the comfort of our living room sofa while eating chips and drinking soda, right? No risk. It's kind of cool. You sit there and you watch these people and you know exactly what they should do, right? If you were there, you would do this while you would take another bite of your cheesecake or whatever it is. And they're starving to death. Or even romance novels, you know, these Harlequin romances where every, at the end of the book, every woman marries Fabio, right? <laughs> Video games. I may never have picked up a football in my whole life, yet I can throw a 70-yard spiral to the corner of an end zone and win by 84 points. <laughs> because the adventure happens on my couch. <laughs> or maybe, maybe even your glory days, you know, some of us live in the adventure of the past, or our kids. But we like to have a vicarious adventure because it's a little safer and it's not so risky. And I don't know uh, if, if you were listening, to the, if you're here for the first song, uh, and Sally even uh, cited some of these lyrics, you want him and you need him, but you act like he's not there. And you know that you're hollow and there's something missing there. And then, and then, and then the, the bridge says this, do you want to spend your whole life jaded, stuck in a rut that you created? And I feel like what happens for many of us, because we don't want uncertainty and risk, we end up in ruts. And it's interesting, I like having a nickname, until I actually looked up the definition of rut, which is what people call me. It didn't feel so cool anymore. Um, because a, a, a rut is a routine procedure, not so bad. A situation or way of life that has become uninteresting and tiresome. Boring routine, humdrum existence. Hey, humdrum existence. Hey, dead end. So I, if you call me that, what I know is you're speaking antithetically and reminding yourself to avoid the ruts, okay? That's, that's, that's what that's all about. So, um, but let me ask you guys something on a serious note. 
And, and I want you to raise your hand. This is, this is an actual question that I'm looking for a response on. How many of you would categorize your, your life as adventurous? Say, my life is adventurous. Some of you. All right, let me, let me make it easier. How many of you would say, well, my life is an adventurous, but I have some adventurous things in my life? All right, more of you. Now let me ask you a better question. How many of you would be willing to admit that you either feel stuck in a rut or you at least at some point in your life have been in a rut? If you're not raising your hand, leave. You're lying, okay? <laughs> Serious. See, because it's a part of life. We get stuck in routines. We become stuck in ruts. And I, let me take it a step further because this is a church, right? I'm not going to give you how to solve your marital woes and get out of a rut. But I'm going to ask you this. Don't raise your hands. How many of you would characterize your spiritual life as an adventure? Because that's a tagline we have here. K2 is an adventure with God. And I have to tell you something that we believe that with all of our hearts, that your spiritual life, not just your zip lining or your mountain biking or whatever it is, your spiritual life was intended by God to be an adventure, not a rut. I'll just, I'll tell you something. Um, for me, I, I grew up a little background so you can just know a little bit about me, okay? I grew up um, son of a preacher man. I have two older brothers, younger sister, and uh, we all, we, we grew up in a, my, my dad was a preacher for my whole, all the way into college, and uh, what was interesting is uh, I just knew the language and the jargon, I knew what was expected, I knew how to dress, because it was a conservative church, so we wore, you know, I had this blue suit with a reversible vest and a tie, clip-on, and I knew how to, I knew what was expected But when I got out of college, I realized something really, really, really important. Though I knew a lot of expectations, and I knew what my parents thought, I didn't really have my own spiritual life. I had the spiritual adventure of my parents. I mean, I could tell you, man, you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and have no idea what it meant. I could use the jargon, but it didn't make any sense to me. So what I did, I said, this is just crazy. I call myself a follower of Christ, and I'm trying to live this certain way, which I don't even really know what it is, because I don't really embrace it, because it's my parents. And so what I did, I said, I'm going to strip, I'm throwing it all away, everything. Everything, flushing it, and that's not even possible. But as best as I could, that's what I decided to do. I said, I'm going to take one faith step. I'm going to believe that the Bible is God's word. I'm going to read it for myself, which I had never done. And I'm going to try and figure out, what do I actually believe? And I'm going to tell you, if this leads me to atheism or Buddhism or Taoism or whatever it is, I'm going to do that with all my heart because this is a wasted life. It's just stupid. There's no adventure in trying to live someone else's life. It's like throwing the 70-yard touchdown pass on a video game. Big deal. Well, I work at a church, so you can probably figure out what happened. (laughs) Right? 
But I want to tell you that it was at that point and not until that point when I for myself took the time to sit down and try and read the Bible for myself and understand what it meant to me and how God was trying to speak to me. Not until that point did it become my spiritual adventure. And it did become a spiritual adventure that, at that point too because then I had actual beliefs that I had to live and hold myself accountable to. And if I didn't, I only affected my own beliefs. So let me ask you guys this. There are a lot of people, different ages and all kinds of stages of life. and Husbands and wives, do you have your own spiritual adventure or that of your spouse? Sons, daughters, all ages, grown-up sons and daughters or younger sons and daughters, do you have your own faith or do you have the faith of your parents? How about students? Do you have the faith of your youth leader or your own? Parishioners, that's all of you. It's a church word. (laughs) Parishioners. Do you have your own faith or do you have the faith of the Holy Reverend? Because I could be lying to you right now. I'm not, but I could be. You know, I, I think it would be really safe to say you could easily categorize Jesus Christ's spiritual life as adventurous. He raised people from the dead, turned water into wine, healed blind, deaf, dumb, paralyzed, and leprous individuals, chased uh, synagogue money grubbers out with a whip, flipped the tables over. He walked on water, had dinner with the social outcasts, outsmarted and outwitted the social and political and religious leaders. And that's just kind of the beginning of the list. I think that's quite an adventure. I've never walked on water, actually. That, that's kind of adventurous, if you ask me. And the explanation that Jesus gave as to why his life was an adventure was pretty simple and straightforward. Luke 2, verse 49, and I, I, this is, I'm just going to read these, so if you don't write these down, you can check, check me on these later, okay? Luke 2, verse 49 says this, Jesus speaking. And Luke, there are four, four books at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels, and those are the four different perspectives on Jesus' life, okay? Those are the Gospels, they call them. Jesus says this. Now, what had happened is his parents had taken him, and they'd gone away from their hometown with a big entourage of people, And then they're coming back um, home, and they leave the big city, and they're coming back home, and then they travel for like a day or something like that, and then they go, okay, anyone seen Jesus? Nope. Oh, son of a gun. We've got to go back. So they go back maybe a little more emphatically than that. They head back to try and find Jesus, and they finally find him, and he's talking to all these people, and he's really smart, and they're going, wow, this guy's crazy smart. And and they say to him, where have you been? His response is pretty interesting. He says, why were you looking for me? And I'm thinking, hmm, really? That was your question? Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my father? They didn't understand what he meant. And then in John, uh, Jesus says this. I'll tell you the truth. The son, John 5, 19 and 20, if you want to write this down. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, 
he will show him even, even greater things than these. And what had just happened? Miracles. Remember the walk on water stuff I talked about? That stuff. He says, to your amazement, more stuff's coming. Heads up. That's adventure. And then in, again in Luke at the end, just as Jesus is about to, to give his life in a sacrificial, brutalized beating and crucifixion on a cross, he's in the garden against him and he's praying and he says this, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But not my will, yours. Not my will. You see, his answer is, I'm not here to accomplish my own will and fulfill my own personal fantasies and desires. I'm here because I've been sent with a purpose. I have a spiritual adventure to live. See, and I think that it's really easy for us to go, yeah, well, he's a Bible guy. Of course he had a spiritual adventure to live. All the Bible guys did, right? See, but here's, here's where it gets a little more personal. It's also true that the Bible actually challenges us to live the same spiritual adventure. Dead silence, huh? Want to walk on water? We have this verse here, Romans 12. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read, um, I'm going to read this, and I'm going to go back and interject some stuff, okay? Put Mike's commentary. Last time I gave Mike's version of a verse. This time I'm going to put Mike's commentary up there. Here it is, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. And this is from the message, which is a really uh, English version, English American English kind of version of the Bible. Here it is, Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says this. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking You'll be changed from the inside. Oh, sorry. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Okay, let me go back now. What does he say? Take the ordinary eating, drinking, whatever, life, the potential rut, right? The things you just got to do. Take that and place it before God as an offering, as Jesus did in the verses we just read. Embracing what he does for you is the best thing you can do. Remember John 5? He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Embracing what the Father does for you. And then fix your eyes Fix your attention on him. Not my will, but yours. I'm focusing on you, God. What do you want from me? Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Whatever the Father does, Luke 5. The Son also does the same. What does God want from you? Don't raise your hands. If I were to ask you, who knows emphatically, I know what God wants from me. I think we would have a lot of people sitting with their hands in their laps. Well, how do you even know? It says right here, fixing your attention on him. I was talking to uh, my wife Susie uh, again as I was just preparing this message, and 
she meets with uh, a group of, of ladies uh, to do Bible study stuff and uh, crochet, knit, and what girls do. And um, joke, joke, she doesn't crochet. And uh, she said one of the girls in her group said something really interesting. What she said was this. You know, you need to view interruptions as opportunities, right? Let me, let me ask you, have you guys ever had the experience where you're, uh, okay, so you go to like the grocery store, some retail store, something like that, and you, you, you want to buy something, but you, you need help from one of the clerks or the stock people or whoever, but they're, they're too busy to help you? What's well, really annoying. I'm here to buy something. You're here to sell me something, but you're too busy doing your thing to help me buy what I'm here to buy. That's because the person is so focused on themselves and what they're supposed to do, they're missing the whole point. And the same is true of our spiritual life. When we are interrupted with things, because we're focused on ourselves, it's not an opportunity, it's a pain in the neck. And I'm just going to speak for the church here because I work for one. You guys are a pain in the neck, Okay? <laughs> I have a lot to do all week long, and I think if you asked every single other person that works here, if you guys would leave us alone, we could get so much more done. Do I even need to explain my point? What? No, I'm being serious. And it's bad, and I know it. Oh, man, Paul, when he gets shipwrecked, one of the, one of the writers of the majority of the New Testament, he gets shipwrecked. He's like, well, hey, new opportunity. I'm, that's not my attitude. Shipwrecked. Man. Let's look at Philippians uh, 3, verse, starting with verse 7. It's a great passage. I once thought all of these things were so very important. What things? Well, what he'd just done in this passage, in Philippians 3, he just sort of talked about his... his uh, you know, his, his uh, impressive qualifications and his pedigree and his educational background, his superior training. He was like, he was the man, okay? And he just, he just lays it out there. That was me. And then he says, I used to think that stuff was important. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. I have discarded everything else all the impressive stuff, and count it as garbage so that I may have Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own goodness or ability to obey God's law, but I trust Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right depends on faith. As a result, I can really know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Wait, sorry, I read that wrong. I can sort of know what other people tell me about Christ and the stories that I read in the Bible, if I read the Bible. Otherwise, I'll come on Sunday and they'll tell me about the Bible. It doesn't say that. I can know the power that raised him from the dead. You can know the power that raised Christ from the dead. And I'll, I'll just, let me just say this. Even if... The, Let's just strip it down to something less important. Even if knowing Christ took your life from the rut, routine, humdrum existence to the exciting experience, would that not be enough? But that's not even what he's talking about. He's talking about a spiritual adventure. 
goes on and at the very last, verse 14 says, I strain, this is Paul speaking again, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. Why did Jesus come? What, did, what was the prize he's talking about? John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and destroy, but I have come to give life. And I've come to give abundant life or life to the full, some translations say. That word, perisos, you know what it means? Excessive, super abundant in quality. Superior in quality. I'm sorry, abundant in quantity, superior in quality. Above and beyond what's needed, the rut. You could live the rut. I'm here, Jesus says, to give you more than the rut. Do you want to take the adventure? Maybe do, maybe don't know how. Let me share. I want to share five things with you that I believe are roadblocks for us often. If you want to go on this venture, I would encourage you to write this down if you have a thing because it's really, really brilliant. <laughs> Wasn't supposed to be a joke, but okay. <laughs> Apparently, I, I'm clear. Your perception of me is very obvious. Five things I want you to know. First of all, you, capital U, Y-O-U, you can do this. I'm going to tell you a little quick, couple, two quick stories. That the one's an Old Testament story, one's a New Testament story, pre-Jesus, post-Jesus. Amos was one of the prophets. Now, back in the time before Jesus, there were these people, that were, the prophets. They would walk around and they would, they would uh, or seers they were called sometimes, and they would, they would give oracles to the people. And uh, there, was, there was a group of people that were just, prof- they would go to prophet, literally, They'd like go to prophet school, and they would get all this training, and, and they would become very important. They would go, and they would just kind of, people would go, hey, I, need, I don't know, I have a tough time in my life. Let's go see the, the prophet, and he'll tell us what to do. And the guy would go, oh, give me your money, and you know, they'd make money off it. It was a living, okay? Well, Amos was a prophet to Israel, and he was not one of them. He was not this trained professional. As a matter of fact, what he was was a farmer, he farmed sheep and figs. That's what he did. But he felt God saying, you need to do this. You, Amos, not the professional guy, you. Go prophesy to the people of Israel and tell them what's not happening that should be happening and what is happening that shouldn't be happening. And he says this in, in Amos 7. Again, this is not up there, but I'm not one of your professional prophets. I've certainly never been trained to be one. I'm just a shepherd, and I take care of fig trees. But, remember Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Why does everyone have such a big butt? But, (laughs) the Lord called me away from my flock and told me, go and prophesy to my people. Farmer guy was called and was obedient. Didn't wait for the trained professional. You, every single one of you, can do it. Second thing, you should do it. It's part of the healthy growth spiritually. Hebrews 5, verse 11 through 6, 1 says this. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. 
Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead to become mature in understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. What's he saying here? Okay, just like human growth, when you're born, you're a baby, you're dependent on being fed milk, right? Someone has to do it for you. You're not going to get up and go to the fridge and get it yourself. And if someone feeds you. But if you're 25 years old and you're still dependent on, and guys, serious, still dependent on someone getting you your beverage out of the fridge, there's a problem. And if all you're ever drinking is milk, it's physically not healthy. You will not, actually, your body will not mature like it should because you develop. And the same thing is true spiritually. If you're dependent on someone else, you're not maturing. And Paul says it right there. Grow up. Take responsibility for yourself. Feed yourself. The other thing is this. It's personal. It's not vicarious. 2 Timothy, two, uh, uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 6 uh, he uses the term, he says, fan into flames your faith. Fan into flames. You get the picture, you know, trying to get a fire started? It means work at it. You work at it. Don't let someone else work at it. Work at it. It takes effort to avoid the rut. Don't let it be a rut. Work at it. And in, all, in three of the four Gospels, again, the stories of, of Jesus, three of them include what we call the Great Commission. And that's where Jesus is leaving the earth. He's been crucified. He's risen again. And he says this, go. He doesn't say, find the people. He says, go. He means you. He means pe- everyone. We'd like someone else to do it. It's a little more convenient, less risk, right? Less uncertainty. You can do it, you should do it. It's personal, not vicarious. Fourth, it's communal. I'm going to come back to this one in just a second. If you just want to check me on this one, Acts chapter 2, that's where I'm going to pull this from in just a second, so you can write this down and circle back on me. And then the last one is this, it never ends. And I already read this verse in Philippians 3, but I'm going to read it again. Philippians 3, uh, verses 12 through 14. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. This is Paul the writer of most of the New Testament. Not that I've already achieved these things or that, uh, that I've already reached perfection, but I keep working toward the day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers and sisters, I am still not all I should be, but I am focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past, Looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. You know, I, I just, so I started thinking about this. What, what would it look like? You know, I, I told you my little story about my beginning of my personal spiritual adventure, trying to make it my own faith. What do you think it would look like if every, just, just even in this room, just, just the people sitting right here right now, what would it look like if all of you just decided, okay, today I'm going to take my personal venture. I'm tired of relying on everyone else. 
I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to find out what it means to be a follower of Christ. That doesn't mean you don't talk with others. It's communal. It doesn't mean you don't have small groups or just do your own thing. But can you imagine? What would it look like? Again, remember I said Acts 2. This is a passage that you, if you grew up in church, they call the Acts 2 church. You'll hear that a little bit. And this is, Acts is an interesting book because this is right after Christ uh, died and rose again and he leaves the earth and he empowers his apostles, the disciples, his, his people that were learning from him. And he says, okay, your turn, I'm leaving. And the book of Acts actually, for you guys, if you don't know this, is kind of interesting. It chronicles the whole New Testament. So when you look at all these other books, these letters that are written to churches, they all take place from within the book of Acts. It's sort of the context. And it tells the history of the New Testament and the writing of these books. And in Acts chapter 2, the very beginning, what starts happening is people start getting word out because the apostles are going and they're sharing what happened how their lives were transformed and how they're heading out on their own personal spiritual adventure. And they're sharing this with people. And crazy stuff is happening. Acts 2, verse 42 through 47 says this. They voted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, just like us here, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What would it look like if, just here in this church, if we all took the personal adventure, what would it look like? According to Acts, miraculous signs. And the church would grow. And more people would find what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And our lives would deepen and our spiritual adventure would grow. We would get out of the rut and get into the adventure. And they didn't do it alone. They did it individually together. Do you notice that? They broke bread together, relationships, and they, and, they, and they prayed regularly. They had regular practices in their life. And they sold what they had to give money and things that, to the people that needed. They served others. And they met in the temple courts. That's where they'd study God's word so that they could know him. And then every day, more people were finding Christ. Evangelism. <laughs> there... Here's what, here's what we've, we've done, and Dave was talking to this, this personal adventure. I just listed five things, just taken from that passage, five different things. Evangelism, which is being confident in your ability to share your story about Jesus. Serving others. Do I need to explain that one? Probably not. Being involved in relationships that are healthy and transparent. Having regular pa- practices that help us deepen our walk and take our spiritual adventure to a new level, and knowing God, just actually understanding what God's word says and what it means to actually implant him in my life. And we've been working hard 
uh, as a staff here at K2 to try and find a way that we could encourage you to join corporately. And you know what? If you know people that don't go here, that's fine too. We let the cat out of the bag. It's all right. You can share this with others. But we've identified five areas that we believe exemplify what a healthy, growing follower of Jesus Christ looks like. And we created this online tool, okay? Mike Seifert actually did the mechanics on it. And this online tool is just a little test, a radio button test. I think, do we, we don't have a um, graphic of that, do we? We do? Would you th- just, just the test, not the results. Okay, we don't have that. All right. Um, basically, well, you can't see, so I'm not even going to show you. But basically what we did is we, we created this online test. I don't know how many, 50 questions or something like that. You do it in 15 minutes. And you just go through and you answer, yeah, sometimes, not usually, always, never, whatever. That kind of little multiple choice thing. And when you get done with this test, what it does is it takes those five areas and it's going to spit out a graphic for you, okay? The graphic looks like that, okay? And you can't see the bottom very well, but at at the bottom of each of those graphics, it's a, you see, it's an adventure. It's a different pathways. The one second from the right uh, leads you to Oz, (laughs) I think. Anyway, what happens is when you're done with your test, it's going to plot you on this graph in those five areas. Do you know God? How are you at being evangelistic, sharing your faith? Are you serving? Do you have regular practices? And how are your relationships? And you can see, I took mine too. I, I was strong in some areas, and I had two areas that I was not strong in serving is I'm not a good servant. <laughs> Just not. But I'm aware of that now. I kind of actually already was. And at the bottom of each of those things, you will get this graph. You can print this out. We'd love to invite you to take the test, print this out so you see where you are, hang it on your fridge. And at the bottom, it has each of those things. Here's what's really cool. You click on any one of those paths, and we recommend that you click on the one you're weakest on, Okay? And it's going to take you to a whole list of resources. Okay? So you get a whole list of resources. Could be a page or two. And basically, it's divided up into three different categories, recycled. Books, K2 messages, and then experiences. Because knowing God is not just here. That's part of it. Knowing God is here and here as well. We have all, just for every single category, whatever you scored on, we ask you to click on that, go to the resources, dive in. And for the next 50 days, join this personal adventure. Now, we think that's important because the valley, the world, your house, needs to know what a spiritual adventure is life. And if, you, if you've never experienced this, this, I'm telling you, you are living in a rut. You believe me or not believe me, I'm telling you from experience, you're living in a rut. And there's so much more to be had.
So here's what I'm going to ask of you guys. I'm going to band. You guys can come on forward. And uh, we're going to transition here at the end and move into a time of, of uh, worship musically. And we, We're going to ask you to do four, four, four things. We see these, not this yellow one but, or this pink one, but this blue band right here. If you're interested, we have these in the lobby for you. And this says K2's 50-Day Adventure. Okay? If you're interested and you're in your heart saying, I want the adventure, here's what we're going to ask of you to do. On your way out, sign up, give us your name, your email address, grab one of these little armbands and wear it for 50 days. Every time you look at this band, I want you to say this to yourself. I want the adventure. Just grab your band. I want the adventure. That's the first thing. Then you go online. This week, you take the test. Now, I think we actually have the address in a graphic. Please get out your pens and write this down if you're going to take this because it's HTTP colon slash slash. personaladventure.k2thechurch.com. There's also a link on our front page that'll be up there. You click on that link on our front, front page or you can go straight to this and you start the test, get your results, and move in that 50-day adventure. Here's the other thing we'd love you to do. So you have the band, you have the test, you get your resources and you dive in and here's where I want to talk about the communal piece of it. Yes, it's personal. But we'd love for each and every one of you to find a running partner. How many of you guys remember running partners? Okay. Personal trainer. It doesn't have to be one. But do this with someone else. I'm going to tell you something else. I took the test. Uh, like I, I told you, I took the test. And I realized something, a little tip that's going to help you. Don't be gracious. Okay. Don't go, ah, yeah, I'm pretty good. Be hard on yourself. If you really want to know honestly how to improve, make your answers as honest as you can because you know what? No one's grading your paper, okay? Except you and God. And if you want the personal adventure, an accurate representation of what you really are in those five areas, it be super helpful. The bracelet, the personal uh, adventure, bracelet, personal adventure, you, the resource guide, and then find someone. Now, here's the thing. Some of you don't know people. Okay, we know that. So some of you don't, just don't have uh, a person that you feel comfortable with. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you to try this week, if you would. Try this week to find someone that you could do this with. If you want to do it in a group of three or four, that's even better. For 50 days, the next 50 days, take this adventure. And then at the end of the 50 days, you go back and take this test again. And look at what happens in the area you're working on. You can do it. You should do it. I just want to pray. And I'm actually, would you guys stand with me as we close out this morning? And I'm going to ask you to do something that's a little bit risky, so, um, but I, I just want you to be honest here too, okay? I'm going to ask you to repeat this with me, but I'm only going to ask you to repeat this if you really, really want this. And if, you know what? If two people say, repeat this with me, 
that's fine. I real, I, I'll be disappointed. But I'd rather have two people who are honest and really trying to take this adventure than everyone just saying it and not following through. I want you to repeat after me. I want the adventure. Okay, all of you who just said that on your way out today, as Sally leads us into worship about knowing God more deeply, I'm going to pray and then grab your band on the way out. And let's change this valley for Jesus. All right? Lord, oh, I want the adventure. Oh, and I know that the adventure has peaks and valleys, and sometimes I'm more engaged, and sometimes I'm not very engaged at all. Sometimes I actually don't want the adventure, and even in those moments, I know that I need to keep pushing through. Oh, I pray that you would come alive in every single life in this room. Your blessings on every single person here today. Whether I already believe in Jesus or whether I've never put my faith in him doesn't matter. What matters is what I do with today forward. May you change our hearts and change this world. May, may your will be done, not ours, in this place. I ask this in your name. Amen.